Shameless Picture Show is part of the Cinepunks Network. If you like the Shameless Picture Show and you want to hear other great shows like it, make sure you check out the Cinepunks Network. You can find them at www.cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. There's other great shows such as Cinepunks. There's the Carnage Report, Cinema Smorgasbord, Fat Girl Hacks, Loud Fast Philly, Tomb of Ideas, and Twitch of the Death Nerve, and so much more. If you like punk rock and you like movies, make sure to go to www.cinepunks.com. And let's not forget the sponsors for the Cinepunks Network. We have the Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. They are the premier screen printer of the Lehigh Valley with service to the whole country, professional and personable in a way that only a DIY business can be. They also have ridiculously low prices for whatever your screen printing needs may be. You can visit them online at xlvacx.com. That's xlvacx.com. Lehigh Valley Apparel Creations. We also have the Essex Coffee Roasters. They're, all their coffee is roasted to order. They have high-quality beans, bunch of apparel, and tea available. They are bringing high-quality coffee to the masses without the pretentiousness. Use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. You can visit them at www.essexcoffeeroasters.com. That's E-S-S-E-X, coffeeroasters.com. Once again, use the code CINEPUNKS for 10% off your first order. One of our newer sponsors here at the Shameless Picture Show is Kino Warber. With a library of over 4,000 titles, Kino Warber Incorporated has been a leader in independent art house distribution for 35 years, including 30 films per year theatrically under its Kino Warber Kino Repertory and Alive Mind Cinema Banners, garnering seven Academy Award nominations in nine years. In addition, the company brings over 350 titles yearly to the home entertainment educational markets through physical and digital media releases. With the expanding family of distributed labels, Kino Warber handles releases and ancillary media for Zeitgeist Films, Milestone Films, Cohen Media Group, Greenwich Entertainment, Artsploitation, Palisades Tartan, Raro Video, and others, placing physical titles through all wholesale, retail, and direct-to-consumer channels, as well as direct digital distribution through over 40 OTT services, including all major TVOD and SVOD platforms. If you'd like more information on Kino Warber and all the great titles they're putting out, be sure to check them out at www.kinowarber.com. That's K-I-N-O-L-O-R-B-E-R. KinoWarber.com. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Shameless Picture Show. I am Michael Byers, and if you've read the description, you know that this episode we will be talking about Spice World. I am joined by my good friend Josephine. Unfortunately, Nick could not make it, but we do the best we can without him. Um, as I said, wanted to, I wanted to record this little intro. Uh, I'm really fucking excited for this episode. Ever since me and Josephine recorded this, I've been thinking about this episode. I've been excited to get this released. I am excited for all of it. However, I did want to at least mention, um, sometimes, you know, technical snafus happen. You can't always, uh, you can't always prepare for everything. You, you plan for the worst. Um, but we had a recording malfunction on Josephine's end while recording. So the audio is a little boxy. It kind of sounds like I'm talking to her through a telephone. 
it's kind of cool. I'm not gonna lie. Kind of, I kind of feel like an old radio DJ, and I've uh, got my my ho- my uh, co-host coming in via telephone or something like that. Uh, she sounds like she's talking talking to me through a telephone. It it definitely needed some work. Um, the originally there was also a really loud hiss in the background. Um, the levels weren't really that high. Uh, I did what I could to try to fix it. I EQ'd the hell out of it. I'm not the best with it, so I actually pass it off to my very good friend Bob Schaub. Uh, if I'm pronouncing his last name correctly. I've actually very, not really ever had to say it very often, Bob. Uh, so I'm sorry if I mispronounce your name, but I've always thought it was Bob Schaub. Uh, anyways, I passed it off to my good friend Bob. He's the drummer for The Directionals, who does our our theme music. And I said, Bob, I've done whatever I could to this. Fuck, please, can you save me? And he's like, yeah, I actually just got my audio set up going. Let me take a look. And he listened to it. And he said it's not perfect, and he can't make it perfect. I wasn't expecting perfect. I just wanted listenable. And he said, but I think I did clean it up quite a bit. I got rid of the loud hiss. I got rid of some of the room noise. And uh, he said, if you're okay for sounding boxy, I think it's workable. And I listened. I I was listening to the episode because I cut it, and I think it sounds quite good, all things considered. But I did want to at least mention so that that way you're not adjusting your own, you know, EQ settings or whatever, and being like, what the fuck's going on with this? So I apologize. We did whatever we could. Josephine's going to look into her microphone and figure out what went wrong there, but, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Ultimately, though, I hope the content of this episode is what sticks with you. So I wanted to give a big shout-out to my my buddy Bob, who helped clean out this episode. Sorry, who helped clean up this episode. I want to give a huge shout-out to my good friend Josephine, um, who this will now be her fourth episode? She's been on Dune. She was on a half episode of Dune. Uh, she was also on Audition, she was on The Witch That Came From The Sea, so though, this is, this is her third full episode, uh, and this was her request, we had a fantastic conversation, big shout out to the band Crossed Keys, uh, for lending us that awesome fucking music during our little ad, that song is called Who We Never Were, you can buy that single currently off of Bandcamp, the band is called Crossed Keys, it will be on their full length album, Believes In You. Uh, that song was lent to me by Crossed Keys, specifically, uh, I don't know if he goes by Joey Angel or goes by Joshua Alvarez, but I met him as Joshua Alvarez, he's the co-host of Cinepunks, our fucking network, and I told him, I love this song, I want to use it, so that way people don't have to just listen to me talk, and he said, fuck yeah. So please, if you like the song, uh, the song is called Who We Never Were, you can get that on Bandcamp currently. Uh, it's off of their album, Believes in You. You can get the 10-song... The 10-song LP is out May 5th. Friday, May 5th. Uh, you can actually order it on vinyl right now. So go show them some love. They're a really cool band. Josh, thanks for your help. Bob, thanks for your help. Josephine, thanks for your help. Oh, let's get to the fucking episode. I work today, but I have a long nap, um, and I'm tired. I was out till like midnight at Alvin Ailey, um, which is a, a dance group that was created for primarily black dancers, um, who of course were not being hired by the major group back in the day, um, and it's continued on. And that was like the best dance performance I have seen in years. And I like go to the ballet, um, but I was out till midnight. That's awesome. And I woke up at like 4 a.m. So I was, I'm like not doing so hot today. Just going yeah. crazy at the fucking dance performance. 
there's a uh, a concert coming up that I really want to go to that is at it's like 15 bucks because it's at the X-ray Arcade in Milwaukee. Oh yeah. Uh, and it's there like wait, uh, they charge uh, really... 15 for that. I think so. Well, they're, no, they're I, really, I think I've been there. I think I've been there. It's fine. I just I remember but, when punk shows were five bucks at a bar. Th- this is like there, this is like a this this really cool up and coming goth band from from Georgia that's coming to town that I really want to see. Uh, Video Vision. Uh, they're coming to town, but they're coming on a fucking Monday. I'm like, God damn, do I really want to do that to myself? Like, yes, but do I want to do that to myself? No, that's especially because they're, they're they're the third on a bill, so they're not going on at least until ten. Okay, so there's a bar weekdays in Chicago um, called Coles that I go to for shows sometimes, and it'll be like like they'll be like, all right, doors open at like nine, fucking get here. And I've gotten there at 9, and nobody goes on until 11.30. Like, the opener does it. Um, and I'm sitting there on, like, a Tuesday night, like, having these, like, 20-somethings try, try it with me. Um, I'm very old. Last time I was there, there was, like, a 23-year-old trying to hit on me. I finally was like, dude, I'm 33. Like, I'm over 10 years older than you. Please leave me alone. Um, yeah, I mean, I love that place, but start your shows at, like, 5.30 so I can just go there for yeah. work. And then yeah, be in bed like, by 10. Like, is that so much to ask? <laughs> like, I want to be out of there by 11. Oh, my gosh. Seriously. Yeah, well, one of my or, friends was complaining about a 10, you know, a 10 p.m. The um, the opener went on, or the headliner went on at 10 p.m. at Sleeping Village um, in Chicago. And I was like, that is so early for Chicago. Like, thank God. Like, I'm going to go to more shows there because otherwise they're on at, like, 1 a.m. And I'm tired. I'm sleepy. Especially a show that has three the three bands on it. Like by the time the third band comes on, I'm like, I want to go home. <laughs> and plus, you know, I don't drink, so like bar culture can oh, be totally. weird. Thankfully, more bars are are embracing the mocktail, so I'll, that's pretty cool. Do you feel like um, it's so? I know you don't drink. Um, I assume like you're fine being around alcohol, but you like I know that yeah. like a bunch of drunk people is like not super fun if you're not drunk. Like I've been. No. So like. Do you feel like the culture in bars is shifting towards being more chill? Like, do you feel um, more comfortable? Yes, and I, and I, the reason I will say that is because I feel like so many now, like you know, in Wisconsin, there's a bar for everything. There's a bar in every corner. You know, the the old school, you know, uh, corner bar that our parents probably hung out mm-hmm. at. Fuck no, don't want to go there. You know, unless I'm going there to pick up a fish fry and I'm just going to exit oh right away. Oh, my God. Don't even say fish fry. Chicago sucks. <laughs> like, I, I love Chicago, but, oh, I'm so like, I, I love the charm of some of these bars. You know, I go in and be like, it just it just smells like home. It's <laughs> fucked totally. up, as that is yep. to say. Totally. But, like, I like, the, I like the look in the field, but I just don't want to spend much time there. But, like, so many bars, like, something like x-ray arcade or what have you, they've got a hook to it. You know, they've got arcade machines or other things. There's... Yeah, they're they have more going on than just going to get drunk. Uh, so I appreciate that, and then so it's also not a weird thing to to ask for a non-alcoholic drink. Mm-hmm. Um, so I definitely do feel more comfortable. I, I, though I need to have a purpose. I need to have a purpose to be there, uh, and I also just appreciate that. Like, because the last time I was at uh, at X-Ray Arcade, I actually went to go see uh, the Ned Flanders metal band, Okuli Tokuli. Uh, and there's this one dude who who's there just to, like, fucking swing his arms and start shit in, 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 in the pit. pit. And I'm glad that people were, like, making his life 
a living hell. Yay! And I was like, man, like five, ten years ago, this might not have been the case. Definitely was. Uh, but it's it's. I feel like it's. I can handle them. I've never had a problem going to them. It, they're just really dull to me. So there has to be a, there has to be a hook. There has to be a reason for me to be there. Totally. That like an X-ray. Well, okay. So the other side of that though is X-ray. I went when I was left in Milwaukee for Shrek Fest, uh, which I will plug because Shrek Fest fucking rules. It's in Milwaukee in Hubble Park. But and you that that was my that's my neighborhood. That's where I grew that's up. That's right. So that's um, extremely legit. But I was mm-hmm. um, there for the Shrek Fest weekend. And um, it's one day, but I was there for the weekend. Went to X-Ray Arcade, and I forgot that they were, like, all ages. And I forgot what all ages shows are like when you're, like, not funny. Um, it was, I mean, it was weird. So all ages for them means 17 plus. So there were 17, 18-year-olds there. And I'm, like, 33 and, like, drinking. My friend is, like, smoking weed. And I was, like, should we even be, like, are we, I mean... I worked in Utah for a minute where you're like, you for a long time were not allowed to drink in front of children. So I'm like, still in that mindset sometimes. I'm like, can we like be doing this in it's front of crazy kids? I have definitely seen younger than 17. Oh, yeah. At that venue. Yeah. There was a kid um, who again. Or they're just a small 17 year old. I don't know. Yeah. No, there was a kid last time I was there for um, Rat Bath. Rat Bath. Um, oh, I love them. They're yeah, great. they're great. Um, and uh, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, right? B-A-R. Actually, real quick, I, I need yeah. I need to say about Rat Bath. I was on uh, the Cinepunks podcast like a year or so ago, talking about um, uh, we are doing a double feature of Cobra and First Blood, which is a whiplash of performance from Stallone. Uh, and they they always they always start uh, start the episode with a song, just whatever the guest picked. And I was listening to Rat Bath earlier that day. I was like, I'll put them on there. So oh, yeah. if you listen to that episode of Cinepunks, Rat Bath plays for a little bit. Rat Bath. Um, we're big fans. I like Ruth Bader Ginsburg, too. Um, you know, a lot of good bands coming out of Milwaukee. Um, but, there were, yeah, there was a high schooler there who was like, yeah, I, I travel around to all the shows in Wisconsin. And he was, like, definitely, like, 15. To be fair, that was me when I was, like, 15. But as, like, a 33-year-old, he was, like, I don't know trying to talk us up and we my friend and i finally had to be like dude we are twice your age literally um do you want some of this pizza bagel because honestly kid looked hungry like that's the most like auntie shit i've ever done but i was like oh i bought an extra one do you want it he was like no 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 and then he ate the whole thing by like digging his fingers into it and eating it It was really weird and hilarious um but I was like, ah, yes, I am now the elder. There, there, there are kids. This will be one of the last things I'll say about this before we move on to the to the show itself. I love this. Let's like fucking talk about music. This, you know, this movie is about music. Yeah. Like, let's do it. But go. Yeah, this and this. That's kind of what I was thinking. It's like this feels like a good transition, um, and we can always bring all this shit back up too. Um, what was I gonna say? Oh, um, oh, it's so weird going to shows now and like legitimate kids are are like i'm like are, are not only there which is cool especially like the rave is doing a lot more all ages shows mm-hmm. which is cool um because that wasn't an option for a lot of times for some bigger acts when i was younger i went to um, the rave when i was like 16 but they wouldn't let you in under 16 um well they're doing younger than 16 now well i mean good for them good for them Continue yeah Fine. but um like me and Amanda went to go see Laura Jane Grace oh. uh, play at the, play at the rave, 
and one because we just went to, to Oakley Doakley the night before. We were so thankful she opened that show <laughs> because we left after her because we were tired. Uh, but there was like this like. I would say 13 year old there who's like, yeah, I just saw her like uh, like last weekend. And then I was at another show this like last night and like her, she's coming with her parents, which is super fucking cool. And like, she's telling us all these bands that she's seen. And I just want and I like, and how she's just so fired up. I'm like, I went to one show this month and I'm tired <laughs> and you're doing multiples. You're a cooler kid than I am. Oh my God. I remember like being, you know, so when I was 14, my mother used to just drive me to Turner Hall Ballroom and just like drop me off. Um, and I, I mean, that's how I saw it. Like I saw Auntie Ballas there. I saw a lot of ska bands, um, uh, the Dresden awesome. Dolls, yeah. you know, Ooh, like, that was, but that was a good show. Uh, yeah, it really was. Um, I have some issues with Amanda Palmer that I won't get into. I do too. But, but, but you know, I still so we agree. Cool, cool, cool. But yeah. like that, that band was like formative and very like of that era. Um, and I cabaret had a had a resurgence for a little bit. Oh my god, uh, yes. But I, but yeah, my mom used to just drop me off at like fourteen at these bands, and they, you know there would be like twenty five year olds there like doing drugs in the bathroom, and I would just be like, cool, like I'm you know I'm old enough for this, and now I look at these kids, and I don't think that I think the culture has shifted. Like there's a much more not that people do less drugs. Like I do drugs obviously, but um, you know there's a much more like inclusive and caretaking attitude at shows these days i think that i appreciate uh, especially as someone with like my history with like performance and music um you know it fucking rules like i love now people see kids at shows and they're like hell yeah like let's be aware like young people are at the show so let's like you know clean it up like make sure they're okay and that's beautiful like wonderful yeah yeah it's it's nice to see and there's always going to be assholes everywhere, but it's nice to see that yeah. there is a sense of friendship in the music scene. Like, I can go to a concert, and I can make a friend for a night. I'll never, I might not ever see that person again, but I had a friend for a night. That is, and it, I, th- I really believe it's a shift, so like, I won't get into my full history. You know, like, most of it, but like, mm-hmm. I me too the Wisconsin punk scene. and yes, like. You do. So I like, and I was like exiled. Like I don't, you know, I, I don't perform anymore. I don't. I did not go to shows for like many years, and I was someone who would go to a show every night um, for a long, for like ten years. And... I'm tired thinking about that. <laughs> I know. Now, I mean, I was like 24 when I stopped. You know, so I was very. I was di- even 24. <laughs> I think I was too old for that. Oh my god! But um, but so when I moved to Chicago, I didn't go to shows for a very long time. Uh, when I, I've been here for like seven or eight years, and I. I think it's been, whatever, it's been a long time. Um, but the first show I went to was at the Subterranean um, off Damon in Chicago. And this couple just, like, bought me drinks all night just because they were like, oh, hey, you're here alone. Like, let's, you know, we, we, don't, we don't get out with our friends ever. So, like, pretend to be our friend tonight. And that was, and it wasn't, like, weird. It was just, like, we were both at the same show. They ended up yeah. meeting early. And that was awesome to me. I was like, okay, cool. Like, we talked about music, you know. And at other shows, it would have always been a creepy guy. I know I've talked a lot about creepy men in the beginning of this but like it would have always been some creepy dude being like hey like are you here alone where's your boyfriend like it's cool you can hang out with me and that's like not so much the case anymore um, it's funny I, I always got that sense of like camaraderie from wrestling shows when i was younger oh, I believe it. because i would no one ever wanted to go with me so i would just go like you know local wrestling was like 
front front row was like 20 bucks so like you could, anything else that wasn't front row was cheaper than that and i would take a bus down to like 13th in oklahoma and walk a couple blocks and it was usually on upstairs of some bar uh, and I couldn't go to the bar area, but I could go to the show and I would just make friends. Cause I would sit there by myself. I would just make friends. Whoever sat next to me, I would never see them again, but they, you know, like there was one time I had, I like, you know, I, I paid my two bits to get in, but I had no money for anything else. And, um, I, I asked the guy next to me, he was like, do you know if there's a bubble around here? And he's like, no, I don't think so. Uh, he's like, he's like, damn, he's like, you thirsty? I'll buy you a soda. I'm like, really? And I was just like so like because I had no money. Yeah, no, totally. That's I mean that's me now. But like as a kid, certainly. Uh, now I go to shows and I'm like, can I afford a gin and tonic? But um, I, uh, I love that you brought up wrestling. I so in preparation for the show, I was thinking about the era that Spice Girls came out in, and we can like talk about that. And I'll talk about my mm-hmm. own like history with Spice Girls, like how I feel. But like. There's something very real about the pageantry that got, that kind of calcified in the 90s as far as like wrestling and pop music. I'm just going to like group mm-hmm. those because the costumes, the big personalities, like there's something about those communities that built up that became so welcoming and enabled so much change with like they have an arc, right? Because wrestling like mm-hmm. has I think recently gone through a very real change as far as like treatment of lgbtq characters um, mm-hmm. and i'm not into wrestling but i you know you, you get the little bits and i lived in the 90s so you, you, um, you hear about it yeah. yeah and like women you know women wrestlers you know we're not just in the diva era anymore not saying wrong mm-hmm. with being a diva but you know there's like there's more to do um we're bringing back recognition of black wrestlers and black wrestling characters yeah. and like that arc was like so delayed i think in genres that like profess themselves to be Oh, real. Like, pop music isn't real, right? But, like, punk music is. But punk music had all these issues no one wanted to deal with because they opened with, oh, we, like, we're not homophobic, we're not racist, we're not, you know, misogynistic. And so whenever that happened, they just, like, buried it deep instead of, Mm -hmm. like, exploring it together. I don't know. Yeah. But I, especially the 90s, like, I'm going to talk about later, like, Riot Girl, you know, Kurt Cobain, like, the, the attitudes that are happening. Um, aren't just bleeding into like pop and I'm going to put Russell wrestling into like this sort of pop genres. Like it's not just bleeding into it, but I think that those formats allowed for real exploration of those themes and they were allowed to have an art. Um, yeah. And I think that some other yeah, genres are really delayed in that way. So that was all right. Well then I say we should just get into it. Let's get into it. discusses movies. Be aware that it may discuss any of the following elements. Endings, surprise twists, unexpected cameos, and all manner of spoilers. If this doesn't appeal to you, why listen to a movie podcast? Without further ado, please enjoy our feature presentation, The Shameless Picture Show. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Shameless Picture Show. I am your host, Michael Byers, and today we have a very special guest. My guest today is truly one of a kind, and one of my go-to authorities on film. They're a writer, an essayist, cinephile, and we even formed a film festival together for a year, returning for their third and third and a half appearance, technically, 
on the show, Josephine Maria Janicek Leschinsky. Beautiful. Did I get right this time? Gorgeous. I practiced it before. <laughs> <laughs> so back when I was planning season seven, I knew I wanted to have Josephine on the show. Each time we've chosen a film to dissect, I walk away with a new appreciation for it because I truly love the way you view art. Uh, we've talked Dune, we've talked Audition, we've talked The Witch Who Came From the Sea, but I think to this, this will be one of our biggest topics we've covered, because we're talking Spice World. Yes! Spice World is the feature debut of the music phenomenon known as The Spice Girls. The film, which owes a lot to films like A Hard Day's Night and The Monkey's TV series, stars The Spice Girls playing themselves and all the hijinks that ensue being the world's most popular pop act. While the film is lacking in, sto in the story department, but it's about the girls getting ready for a big show at the Royal Albert Hall, it's still filled with lots of surrealist comedy, crazy adventures, full-on music numbers, double-decker bus insanity, and let's not forget, girl power. The film, much like the Spice Girls, was a box office success and made money not only in the UK, but in the United States as well. The film was unfortunately panned by most critics. Gene Siskel called it an entertainment-free dead zone. And, and Roger, I, I I just thought that was a great like little quip. Like I don't agree with him, but it's a great little. He, quip. I mean, that's my Chicago boy, and he, um, you know, he had a way with words. He did, and Roger Ebert stated it was the worst movie of 1998 after Armageddon. I mean, both classics. So I don't know what his issue is. So cool. However, despite that fact, it's become nearly impossible to find on home video. Oh, despite that, the film has gone on to have a lot of love within the last couple of years, and it was even reappraised by big media outlets. I think the New York Times even wrote a like, piece about how they like it now. Yep. They were wrong, mm -hmm. they said. Which is shocking, because uh, the New York Times doesn't admit to being wrong about anything. So. No, they don't. But let's be real. Who cares about any of those people? Spend a little time on Letterboxd, and you will find this film is adored by many. Spice World stars Victoria, Emma, Mel C, Mel B, and Jerry as the Spice Girls and features supporting roles by Richard E. Grant, Alan Cumming, George Went, and Roger Moore and features multiple big-name cameos. I even found a list ranking them. Uh, written by Kim Fuller and directed by Bob Spears from 1998, this is Spice World. When the world is in trouble, when our future is in danger, we call upon one man. But when he's busy, he calls five girls. Columbia Pictures presents The Spice Girls. All right, we're coming. In their film debut, Victoria, Emma, Mel B, Jerry, and Mel C. They're ready for action. Girl power. They're dressed to kill. And thoroughly prepared for any encounter. It's a story of love. I think with boys, you should be able to just wheel them in. Yeah, and order them like a pizza. Yeah, no cheese. Compassion. It's really too hot in here. I need a fan. And misunderstanding. When the speeding melon hits the wall, yeah. it's Christmas for the crows. What did he say? I haven't a clue. Oh, don't you niggas, girls! 
There's more like it. This January. Would you like an hors d'oeuvre? No. But I'll have one of these pie things. Make your choice. Oh, I like the blonde one. No, 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 no. Sporty. Rock your world. And spice up your life with the Spice Girls. Spice World. Yeah, but can they act? Um, blah, blah, blah. Um, girl power. Feminism. Do you know what I mean? I love that intro. That was so good. <laughs> I, I frantically wrote it before uh, before we recorded. So one thing I want to talk before we talk about the movie itself and our history with it, history of the Spice Girls and whatnot. When I first approached you about being on the show, you picked this movie without like any hesitation. Yes. You you knew this was the movie you wanted to discuss. Why? Like Great what question. made you like want to like, was it just on your mind at the time? Like where did this come from? Um, I mean, it was on my mind. I um, I think the 25th anniversary of the Spice World tour was last year, um, which was like sort of contemporary. It was their big world tour, um, and they had a they had all the members come back and do another tour. Um, and so a lot of my friends were talking about it. I have done like so. I'm queer. I'm like very gay, and I've done a lot of work with my gender and trying to understand that recently and I still you know I don't get it whatever I'm whatever I am but growing up I was very gender confused and I totally missed the Spice Girls for a lot of reasons and one reason was I was a tomboy quote-unquote because I like wasn't sure I wasn't a boy um and so I was like totally rejecting them uh and I missed I don't know all my friends were so into this film so into this group and I just had this very like gut negative opinion of them um and I will say after like talking to my friends about it and watching uh, this movie and listening to some of the music, I'm going to quote Nelson Mandela and say that he, the Spice Girls are my heroes. You know, like now things have changed, but I love being able to go back and reappraise and it's kind of therapeutic to like forgive yourself. Cause like I was very confused as a kid. My parents didn't like the Spice Girls, which we didn't like get into, um, you know, they didn't want me like looking at women in like tight clothes and like looking up to them, um, which is ridiculous. Cause like, who cares? Uh, that's so mm. not what the Spice Girls are about. And I, yeah, I'm just excited. I was so excited to reappraise something that as like, a, I mean, I was young. You know, I came out at the right age, the Spice Girls, um, that I was like so anti. And I'm just well, excited. I was excited too when you pitched it because, um, you know, when I was younger, um, I was, uh, even even as a child, as a, I, I feel like I was a pretentious little dink uh anything like pop music i told myself was bad i wouldn't listen to it it's all you know and plus uh, a boy in the 90s you wouldn't be caught dead listening to this absolutely not uh but funny enough they were always in the back of my mind because um one they were just everywhere everyone knew the spice girls um but then when this movie came out um growing up a good friend of mine his name was mikey his twin sister amber had the had the spice had spice world on vhs and whenever we'd have like a weekend sleepover, the deal was like she, her and her friends could watch a movie and then we watch a movie and they would usually choose what to watch spice world or something like that. And I just remember like seeing bits and pieces of it when I had to walk through the room and like, I would just linger more and more because I was just, I was fascinated by it because he, I was not used to this idea of like this girl band that I don't understand being funny. 
and being funny in a way that I, even as a young kid, I could, I could understand. And like now I love pop music. I, just, I truly do. And, and anyone who doesn't, I think just needs to kind of reevaluate themselves a little <laughs> bit because it's, it's, it's not to say you have to love all of it, but to hate on pop music because it's popular is stupid. Um, a friend but, last weekend said liking pop is the new punk. Honestly, it feels like that way. Like I was, I was, I was waxing poetically about one of Lord's new albums and someone's like, why do you listen to that? It's like, why don't you listen to it? It's fucking great. Yeah. Um, so it was fun for me because like there was so much music from that time that I, I the stuff that was popular I, I wasn't really in tune with, uh, and the stuff that was a little more underground I obviously didn't know about because I was a child. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's been fun to like go because uh, to go back and just rehear some of this stuff. Like me and Amanda went on a binge like a couple months ago of listening to a bunch of Britney Spears stuff because that's what she really liked when she was a kid. Um, and, you know, we still have our debates of the Backstreet Boys versus NSYNC. And, you know, it, it's it's just been fun to reevaluate this stuff. And when you said Spice World, it's like, fuck yeah, it's time. Like, I, especially because just recently I had seen uh, Josie and the Pussycats for the first time since yeah. I was a kid. And I loved that movie. So I was like, fuck yes, let's do this. I um, love Josie and the Pussycats. I mean, I, like, I am a little biased because my name is Josephine. Um, I, I used to read the comics as a kid. I love that movie. Something that I love about this movie, Spice World, is that, you know, you talked about there was very little plot. I do, I mean, it's it's a film about making a film in many ways, um, right? Alan yes. Cumming is running around. And I will also say, you know, it was panned by critics. When you ask Alan Cumming what his favorite movie was to work on, he says Spice World. Fuck yeah, um, he does. Yeah. So, like... I don't even have to fact check yeah. that. I'm just going to say it's true. <laughs> just trust me. But it's, uh, you know, it's, he said it in an interview. Who knows if it's changed? But he said it in an interview several years ago. A lot of the things I do, do I want to challenge sort of sort of artistic snobbery or just snobbery in general, but artistic snobbery especially. I mean, and that's in a way why I say that my favourite film is, this, is Spice World because I actually had a... I want to say to people, what do you mean when I, when you ask me what my favorite film is? Do you mean like what I think is the best film I've done or the most successful film or what is the most fun experience I've had work in a working situation? I think it should be the latter for my for favorite. And I also say the Spice because it was a great and magical time. But also I want to say it to people because to say, you thought I was going to say, you know, something posh and some, you know, arty thing. Why do you, why do you kind of, want me to be boxed into your idea of what my what my choice would be and I feel like I've got this very eclectic taste I love the high and I love the low and I and I continue to do that and I I think it's that's what makes me tick and what makes me interested and interesting I think and um I love that this movie in comparison to movies like um other band movies right movies about making music um like Josie and the Pussycats, that one is really a love story. Like there's, you know, mm-hmm. there is, you know, her tension with her bandmates and trying to um, figure out where friendship can live among mm-hmm. stardom, right? But, um, and there's this anti-consumerist glint as well in there. But um, Spice World to me was really just about the Spice Girls doing their thing. They, co- they have a co-writing credit in the film. Um, and... Not, you know, it, not worrying about romance. They have a friend who you exactly. never, you know, who, who's it pregnant. Feels, and that's just like part of the story, you know. It feels pure. Yes. Like it didn't, it, like, and it's it's almost a great, um, 
bookend with that screenwriter character who's pitching him all these ridiculous plots throughout the movie. And what works so well about this movie is the fact there isn't isn't much plot. I didn't mean it as a slight no, yeah, necessarily. Totally. Uh, because it's it's simple. It's about like our day-to-day life and then we have to get to this big show. And then just all the craziness that it that can happen from it. It's just it's pure. Like I said, there's not like Oh, these two are are secretly don't like each other, or there's like you said, there's not like a guy. They're all the main characters simultaneously. Yes. There's not one that takes precedence over another. It's a movie about female equality. And if they had introduced like a love storyline, one of them would have become, you know, that would have been the exactly. main character. Um, I yeah, I so growing one up- spice is not more powerful than the other. <laughs> one spice to rule them all um yes i yeah we should like we should have done like a dune like a dune and spice world like crossover episode this was a mistake we fucked up i i i i had it written but i i forgot to do it but i was gonna say uh somewhere in my intro that we are we this is we're talking about the the prequel to dune oh yes but before I the great spice wars yeah yes. um i love that so much I now I'm like getting warm feelings because now I'm just thinking about Dune. But anyway, um, so one thing about not so Spice Girls, I you know I talked about being queer, um, a, a queer dirtbag as I said earlier this week. But I remember very clearly this conversation I had with my dad in elementary school. I was um, I struggled in school like so many of us did, but especially with like making friends, especially with girls. Right, I, I'm. AFAB, so I was raised a girl, and I remember trying to play with these girls on the playground, and they always wanted to play Spice Spice Girls, Spice Girls, and they were like, which Spice Girl are you? Like, pick one. And I didn't know any of them, so I was just like, scary Spice, because I was like a little goth, you know? Um, I like the sound of her. But I remember trying to talk to my dad about it, and just saying, like, I'm not into the Spice Girls, like, nothing about this appeals to me, like, the idea of, like, dressing up like a girl, and, like, wearing makeup, and and I was so distressed about it because I couldn't figure it out. I, you know, at the time I thought I might be like a boy, um, but I didn't know how to vocalize that. I remember my dad just kind of being like, you know, not all girls are into the same thing and that's okay. And as you grow up, girls will be in different things. But the important thing is that you're all girls. Um, and that like became this whole like, uh, and he didn't mean it to be this like anti-trans, you know, thing. Mm, but yeah, yeah. but it, I did internalize it because I was a child. I was like seven or eight years old. I think he meant it like we're, you're all people. You're all people, but yeah. he, you know, he, he wants to make sure I know, you know, it's okay to be a girl. Um, but I, I just like then that like as I grew up, it, in my family, um, one issue with like figuring out my gender is that women in my family, like you get married, and you have kids, and that's like that's a very important part of your identity. Um, and that's not the only thing women can do, obviously. Like I don't believe that, but in my family, that's very, very, very like. You know, you could do whatever you want, but then also you're going to have kids and like get married. Like you have whatever career you want. So that kind of melded with this like Spice Girls conversation of like, you know, girls can like different things, but you're all girls. Like it just, and I just started like projecting that onto Spice Girls. I was like, okay, I'm rejecting this like super girly like, you know, thing. And I had, I had no idea they were so into girl power. Like Jerry Hallowell's whole thing is like girl power, like feminism. She is so, like, rude and sassy in that movie, and I fucking love it. Um, and all of her quotes, like, in interviews and stuff. Um, and the Spice Girls role. Can we just talk about, like, the hist- like a little bit about the music of the Spice Girls and, like, the, the setting for when they came out? Because I have, like, so many thoughts there. Of course. We, we can... This... 
we can go wherever the fuck we want with this conversation. <laughs> but one, th- one thing, I, one thing I want to mention real quick. Oh. You mentioned how um, uh, Jerry, how she's just uh, she's just so quippy and, and fun. I love that. While I stand by my thought that the Spice Girls are the main character, there's not they're not one who's more important than the other. With what little time we get, well, you don't really have any character development right. for the Spice Girls. I know who each one of these characters are based on the little bit we get from them. They are so well-defined. Um, and I think I said to you that I think, like, the most genius thing about this film is because, you know, the Spice Girls are not, they're not professional actors. Um, but everyone else is ramped up so far on the Richter scale in terms of their performance that it makes the Spice Girls seem naturalistic and it actually helps their performance as well. And... I, I like they, it's it's it. I'm I was just so fascinated by how much they can just pull focus from whatever's going on in the scene because they're sharing the scene with some big name fucking actors, some really good actors, and they could still pull focus and be their own true selves. And there's like this little there's little things throughout the movie that I just absolutely love. Like I love when they're doing that like dance boot camp thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they all come out in, like, their military fatigues. And then you have Victoria, who's just wearing, like, a... stilettos and dress. And then, like, when they're all, like, getting down and climbing through the mud, she just walks around. And it's like, she knows exactly who her fucking character is. And that is it's so like Spice pro- Girls, too. Like, and they're, yeah. they're not going to do whatever they don't want, right? Like, even though they're in yeah. boot camp. Um, yeah. I... It's like, it's like pro wrestling. They all know their character. A hundred percent. And that's... Fantastic. I will also say, um, I do think that one character has an arc, and I think that's Naoko Mori's uh, Nicola, so their friend who's yeah. pregnant. Um, her boyfriend, I think they briefly mentioned like her boyfriend left or whatever, and they're just like, oh no, we'll support you. And there's this like sort of subplot where like, oh, they're kind of ignoring their friend because they're so busy, but then they all come back together at the end. But it's very light. But I do mm. think she goes through like this kind of independence journey just on the side, and it's so random and so lovely. And Naoko Mori is so good. But even her, she shows up and you're like, cool, this is the Spice Girls friend. Like, we don't need any more explanation of the fact that she's pregnant or, like, anything She's else. the honorary Spice Girl. Yeah, like, there's there's nothing needed. Like, I know exactly who she is and why she's there. And she's this little 90s cutie, right? Like, she's got, like, the like, almost page boy mm-hmm. haircut. Like, um, she's a little more, like, Northwest. And which is something I was thinking about. I was thinking about Riot Girl with the Spice Girls, um, which I will talk about more about. But have you? Do you want me to give a brief overview of how the Spice Girls were formed? Because like, please, because I I can say for myself, I don't know anything about them. I didn't know if they were like a product, if there was something that they that they wanted to do. And let's be real, I'm I have a good feeling that a lot of my listeners also don't know. All right, let's get into it. So I did research. I'm not like I said, I wasn't a Spice Girls fan. Didn't know very much about them. Um, turns out they are so fucking punk rock. Uh, turns out, in the music business. So during the 90s, we had tons of boy groups, right? Boy bands mm-hmm. were getting bigger and bigger. So these guys named, I'm going to pull up their names here, Bob and Chris Herbert, they ran Love Management. And they were like, they saw a place to capitalize on the, a corner of the market, and that was creating a girl group in response to a boy group. I don't think the intentions were like, oh, girl, like we're going to capitalize on girl power, but... You know, easy to slip into that. The 90s were starting to get more of a concept of girl power. Um, mm-hmm. So they create, they, their plan is to have five girls who are all rapidly, rapidly, or not rapidly, sorry, who are all extremely different, right? 
um, vastly different from what I was looking for. So they start holding auditions. So the Spice Girls yeah. were like not girls who necessarily knew each other before they were cast. Um, so they get together with heart management. They finally cast. There's like all these dramatic stories of like why each one was chosen and whatever. And you can get into that later. Um, and I, I don't have it memorized, but they get together and heart management starts um, writing songs for them and having them go into extreme boot camps like in the movie. But it's more like you're going to move into a you know three bedroom house together and you're going to be locked in there and songwrite. Right. That's like what bands do. Um, so they started doing that. And heart management does not want to give them a contract for a long time. They, you know, they're, they're paying them and they have their, their it sounds like mainly temp employees. Um, without a contract, like musicians are in danger of losing rights to their music, um, losing rights to their image, especially with the Spice Girls. Like, you know, imagine how off the rails. They had so many uh, product um, placements in a lot of their stuff that, yeah. you know, that was, it turns out all directed by them because what they end up doing is they plan a showcase convince heart management to give them a contract by basically having people compete for them. Heart management was like, fine, we'll give you a contract, offer it to them. Their lawyers, the Spice Girls lawyers say, this isn't a fair contract, do not sign it. So they don't. They steal the masters from recording sessions and then go and sign with someone else. Fuck yeah, Spice Girls. And, and these are these are like, this is, you know, these two guys losing control of their creation, right? Like they created a fucking feminine monster and she fucking stole that shit and then became the Spice Girls. Amazing. That's incredible. That's the Frankenstein's monster story I've always wanted. And, th- and and that's what Spice World is about. No, but you have like moments, right, in Spice World where you see them like like when they, they run away from the bus because they want to run around London. Like mm-hmm. they, you know, they still have that attitude. They're gonna do what they want to do. Um I also when I was viewing this movie, I was placing it in context of, of music I was listening to as a kid. Um and that was obviously punk, but Riot Girl was like huge in the '90s. Obviously, it's when it was created. Kurt Cobain is singing "Asking for It" with his wife Courtney Love. You know, like we're having this moment where women's issues and talking openly about them is being discussed in music. And Spice Girls is like this culmination of all those conversations into the pop realm in a way that, you know, they, they sang about love and they sang about relationships, but in the end, it's about friendship. It's about positivity. Um, you know, these very positive messages for girls that were much less based on image, even though they have a very, you know, kind of calculated image themselves. Um, and, and not based on, like, getting their identity from, you know, their boyfriend, presumed, you know, male partner. Mm-hmm. So really kind of cool to see yeah, that infusion. I, and I never thought of it that way, but like Amanda's gotten really big into Bikini Kill Hell the yeah. last couple of years and La Tigre, and it's been it. I never thought of it that way, but it's 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 like you listen to the lyrics of some of like like Bikini Kill and what they stand for, yeah. Like the con- the content, like the subtext behind what they're saying is like you said, very similar to that of the Spice Girls. The Spice Girls are just a pop form of it. In terms of what the, the messes they're trying to get across, and it's it's I, w- I don't know if I would have made that connection without you, but that is really fascinating. It's fascinating. This is why I, this is why I bring you on the show. You're smarter than I am. <laughs> thank you. Um, thank you for saying that. I don't think it's true, but thank you. Yeah, I like. Um, I won't say I do think that the Spice Girls, and I um, I don't feel like I'm super equipped to have this conversation, but they have some of the same issues that. Um, you know, Riot Girl ended up having, um, and that's 
being mostly white, right? Like homogenous cis women. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, the black Spice Girl is Gary Spice, which Mel B. Um, I don't super know the backstory of that, but like not a great looking back on it. It doesn't look great. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, you know, I do think that as far as, and like now we're in this era of, we just had international women's day. Um, and one of my issues with international women's day is that it's so cis, um, which is okay in some ways, but it's very like girl boss feminism, which we're currently like having a reaction against culturally. Um, it's very one note, like kind of pro capitalist, pro you know, very like white, re- like presentation mm-hmm. of feminism that I think was supported by Riot Girl and um, not the capitalist aspect, but definitely in pop, like Riot Girl and pop, definitely went more towards that realm. Um, and I, I do think it contributed to their end as well. I know Jerry Halloway was the first one to leave the group, and she expressed feelings of being disillusioned by the group. Um, or at least probably her fame and her startup and what those messages were really ended I have up to, having. I have to say, like, I'm looking at, I'm, I have the, the uh, Wikipedia page of the Spice Girls pulled up in the background. Um, it's it's one of those things, like, I, the Spice Girls were a huge part of the 90s. But at the same time, I am legitimately surprised about the amount of time that they were together for some reason i thought it was like a two maybe three year thing one maybe two out like i was surprised that their official like timeline says 94 to 2000 like that's longer than i was expecting because i just kind of in my mind the way i remember the spice girls because i don't even know how they broke up or anything like that in my mind it felt very much like a a flash in the pan but a really big one if that makes sense like, yeah. that's just how i th- remembered them i do think i think there's some gender differentiation here too because i the 90s the spice girls absolutely defined it for me but i was mm-hmm. eight you know i was eight fab i was being raised as a girl so like you know i think that would have stayed in my purview for much longer um because that's, all the media that fair. was being fed to me and i i talked before about how my parents were super into the spice girls they never said like we're not gonna you know no spice girls in this house but my and I talked about this I think at last on previous podcasts, but like as a kid, my my parents were very, um, you know, second wave feminists, and they like dressed me in gender neutral clothes until I could um, pick my own clothing. You know, I was okay. old enough to like express an opinion. Um, like I had my brother's hand me downs, and then they like wouldn't let me like Disney movies were basically banned in their house. There were a couple we were allowed to watch, but anything with like a helpless princess, absolutely not. Which totally fueled my fairy tale obsession, right? And I'm not obsessed with the, the princess fairy tales, but as a kid, like whenever I could like read these books of fairy tales, it felt a little illicit. Um, okay, but, I, I get that. Yeah, but so I think the Spice Girls, if you don't listen to the music and if you weren't like hearing them talk, all that you saw were these posters of these girls in push-up bras and extremely short skirts, um, and you know these, these big sexy stripper boots. And that, I think, to my parents was like, it was not a good look, right? Like, that's mm-hmm. not something they necessarily wanted their kid to look at. And I was into Riot Girl as, at a young age, but that was also not, my parents weren't against it. They, like, loved, they were fine with Riot Girl, but not, neither of them, like, really listened to it. And if you listen to Riot Girl and you look at what those women are wearing, they're wearing, you know, it's not as, as uh, shiny as the Spice Girls, but they're, you know, they're sexually liberated. It's, yeah, that is part of the point, so... Um, I don't think, you know, I love the Spice Girls and I don't blame my parents for like kind of trying to 
discourage me getting into those things, but um, it was confusing. I don't know. There were a lot of confusing messages happening, I think, for everyone around gender and sexuality in the 90s, but it was a confusing time. So what did you think about the movie? <laughs> was it, And was this your first time seeing This is my Spice first World. time seeing it, and I think this is a great chance to say thank you so much to Jeff, um, yes. our dear friend Jeff. This movie, like you mentioned, is impossible to find. Um, my, I had a friend look into trying to find the DVD, a Blu-ray or whatever for me, and it's like $100 for any sort of media i I didn't try looking i haven't i didn't go as far as to look in other countries i um because i know it had a couple i had a couple re-release i didn't go that far um but like if if, uh i was also going to start looking for like vhs copies like i was just gonna however i could find it i have friends who have vhs copies and i know the music box theater in chicago um has a vhs copy on the shelf and i think it's such a testament to Chicago's movie going culture that like that hasn't been fucking ripped, like stolen, like just sitting there. And I was like, should I try to borrow this illegally? Just kidding. I love a music box. I would never steal from them. But um, disclaimer, but I, yeah, I have friends who have like the VHS, but I don't have a VCR. So it's like, we got to play a movie night. It becomes a whole thing. Yeah. Um, but the movie, what did I, so Jeff, oh yeah. Point being Jeff, that's rule. Thanks for getting us access to this film. Um, one of my favorite people, the movie. I loved this movie. I loved it. Um, yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say for now. I love this. Love this movie. Yeah. And I, I, I don't know. I, I, I went into it feeling like I was going to love it. Like, just because like, I, I remember saying to Amanda before I sat down to watch and, uh, and said that, uh, is like, if this is even half as good as, Josie and the Pussycats were, were in for a treat. Um, and like, I already had it in my mind from, from childhood that there was things about like, I, it blew my mind at a young age. Cause like I said, I didn't see the entire movie growing up, but I saw bits and pieces of it. Um, but the part that I've seen the most was them breaking the fourth wall at the end, talking to the audience. Yeah. And at a, like, I was about like seven, eight years old, about eight to nine years old when this movie came out. I didn't think you could fucking do that. Totally. And I was, and that blew my mind. And so I, I just had it in my mind, in my mind already that not to say, you know, Spice World is not the first movie to break the fourth wall, but I don't know. I just had it in my mind that this movie is going to be doing something interesting. Um, and the simple fact that I don't really hear anyone talk about this movie because it is just it, it was made just as a vehicle for the Spice Girls, okay. um, good, bad, or otherwise. No one's talking about Spice World. Granted, out people are talking about the Spice Girls in general right now. But I was like, I, I guess I just had it in my heart that I was hoping that this was gonna be like a rediscovery. This this was gonna be like unearthing a classic that people aren't talking about as much. Like I was I was hoping I was gonna come out of this loving it, or at very least had a great time watching it because let's be real we all we've all seen those movies like that movie was a train wreck but goddamn was it fun you know but this movie was not a train wreck it was very competently made and bob spears knew what the fuck he was making kim fuller knew what the fuck she was doing when she wrote it mm-hmm. there's so much intention in this film 100 percent. and game back to like the narrative thing um i love the you know day in the life it's very uh cleo from five to seven uh, if I could just yes. put a little Agnes Varda reference in there. 
And then, and then to have, I mean, it is like, I, you know, I have kind of a, you know, I have, I vacillate between being extremely rude in my film criticism and like crass and then being like, um, there's a term for it, but like basically, um, elevating trash genres, right? Like the idea of like, yeah. oh, we're going to talk about them like they're, you know, and I, I, Spice That's World, what we bonded over. Hell yeah. So Spice World is not trash by any means. It was no. very intentionally made. When I look at it, I do see like, okay, Cleo from five to seven, right? We're following these girls during a set period of time. Um, they're very, they're already famous. Like, you know, we're, there's no reach to startup here. They're famous as hell. They're trying to figure that out. They have their own identities. But then also like the idea of it being a film within a film because Alan Cumming is like, chasing them around trying so badly to get this documentary made. And then we have a secondary film within a film where they're making a commentary on movies where the guy is mm-hmm. pitching, you know, the network and trying to get these ridiculous movies made. Like those were such cool commentaries and somehow they still didn't make the whole movie about that. It really no, was just it, like, it, it's just a series of bits yeah. essentially. A series and, of bits. Yeah. But I do think it's going somewhere. Like I do think it has structure in the same way that momentum. Cleo did, you know? Yeah, one hundred percent. Like it's not just, rent. It's not something like Hollywood Shuffle where it's just a bunch of uh, skits thrown together. Like it's it it has its its true north. It has its 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 roots. They it, these are just things that are branching off. Um, but it it almost uses that bus as as its forward momentum because no matter what happens in this film as long as they get back to the bus the bus is going to go to the next stop okay you know that i love looking at films through transportation um and that is a beautiful analogy and i love that michael i think that might be like the best film criticism i've ever heard from you like a piece of film analysis nailed it nailed it thank you thank you i'm gonna put that on my resume yeah (laughs) (laughs) you can put a little poll quote (laughs) <laughs> From film critic, Um I, yeah, I no, I really do love that. I'm like blown away that you said that. That's so beautiful. I like tears in my eyes. Uh, so proud of you. Um, what was... so it took me seven years, but of doing this podcast, but I got you there. nailed it. This is it. This yeah. is the episode. <laughs> this is the one. Um, oh. Let's, can we talk about the cameos? Can you read? Do you have a list pulled up of all the cameos? Can you read everyone is in this yep. movie? It is. This one is the definitive ranking, so it's going to put them in order of what they think are the best cameos. Okay. So, but it is everyone. Cool. All right. So um, going from, uh, I guess, lowest to highest, whatever, uh, it's Mark McKinney and George Went. Mm-hmm. Uh, then they got Claire Rushbrook. Stephen Fry's got a cameo in this. He's at the lower end. I'm hmm? gonna. He's at the lower end of these rankings. Yeah, surprisingly. Wow. I'm gonna argue these as you go. Okay, go. Uh, Michael Barrymore. Uh, Jules Holland. Yeah. Jonathan Ross. Richard O'Brien. He doesn't really feel as a cameo. He used kind of a full character. He had a character. Yeah, that's not a cameo, but that's fine. They had a lot of famous of people these, in the movie yeah. too, like. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of Cabaret and Alan Cumming. All right. uh, Kevin McNally, which I didn't recognize him in this movie. Yeah, there were a lot of people in very plain clothes or in, like, character characters, and it was confusing sometimes trying to figure out who was who. Uh, Jennifer Saunders. uh, Roger Moore. 
yeah, that was. Which I I I saw his name in the credits and it didn't it, it didn't process, but then as soon as I saw him, I like chortled. Him with that cat, like everything, every Roger Moore. So like we talk about how great this movie is and how great the Spice Girls are. Roger Moore stole this movie. Like it, it's a yes. Roger Moore vehicle. Um, and just speaking amazing. nonsense. So okay, I I really want to think that he ad libbed all that, but I'm sure he did. Yeah. Uh, I like to. I, I I like to. Part. Of, I don't know what I like better. The idea that they said, "Hey, do you want to be in a Spice Girls movie?" And he got like, and he's like, "Fuck yes, I do." And he is in it, or that he didn't realize he was in a Spice Girls movie. I don't know which is funnier. Oh, so good. Okay. Uh, this is also not a cameo, but Alan Cumming. Yeah, he's a character. Meatloaf. Meatloaf was hilarious. All of them were yeah, hilarious. They were all great. His, but... his his completely sincere. I love these girls. But I uh, won't do that. Because, <laughs> like, I didn't see them turn it into that joke. I Does um, he do that joke, like, anywhere else? Like, if I were me, I, don't love, think I so. would never make that joke. I mean, I was like, okay, I get it. Ha, ha, ha. But, like, I feel like I just love it, the narrative. Like, we're going to build a little fan narrative here that, like, for the Spice Girls, these people would do anything, you know? Can I can I tell a fun little Please. what I think is a fun little Meatwolf story? Yeah. Um, so, Meatwolf's real name is Michael Aday. <laughs> And when he was first getting into acting, like, this is also, like, back when he was a big, like, music star, he was going to do, like, Shakespeare in the Park or something like that. And uh, and he got a, a role in it. And they were like, okay, well, um, we're going to put your name on the marquee. We're going to put Meatloaf. And he's like, don't put Meatloaf. He's like, put Michael a day. And he's like, why don't you want to put Meatloaf? He's like, no one, like, it's, he's like, you know how dumb that looks? Uh, uh, I don't remember what show it is. Let's just, uh, you know. Midsummer Night's Dream starring Meatloaf. And the director goes, the bard himself would want you to beat Meatloaf. <laughs> and be, and ever since then, he's like, okay, I'll keep, I'll, I'll credit myself as Meatloaf. The ghost of Shakespeare told Meatloaf to credit himself as Meatloaf. Yeah. So I, I just think that's funny that like this, some, this director who just said, William Shakespeare would want you to be Meatloaf. And he's stuck with it. And that is directing, right? Like that is pro personality management right there. Yeah. Like, that's it. Fantastic. Yeah, plus he was also covering his ass because he wanted people to buy tickets because me. Yeah, no one's going to buy a ticket for Michael O'Day. Sorry. No. Sorry, sorry. Uh, Hugh Laurie, mm-hmm. which that was the one I texted you. I know. I thought that Hugh was Laurie so playing, funny. I, when uh, you got to that, Poirot. I was like, you were, you were. I was like, I know exactly how you're feeling. Uh, Bob Hoskins. Yep. Uh, which I, I loved that. I loved... Uh, hold on. I wrote, I wrote down the exact quote. Bob Hoskins saying... Girl power, equalization between the sexes, but with um, um, was it Jerry's voice? Yeah, that's how, that's her whole thing, Jerry Holloway. So yeah, gender spice. I I do have to say though, the idea that Bob Hoskins has been in a lot of weird movies mm-hmm. and he still thinks Super Mario Brothers is the worst thing he's done. Like I just problematic. Can't. Yeah. <laughs> Canceled. Uh, Do- Dominic West. Mm-hmm. And uh, Richard E. Grant. That's not a cameo. This is a weird list. Uh, Bob Geldof. Mm-hmm. And then number one, Elton John. Okay, they missed one. They missed Who'd my they miss? favorite one. Who'd they miss? They missed Elvis Costello. He was the bartender. And yes! that was the best. How did... Okay, if the... don't get me started, but people don't know Elvis Costello, and there's something wrong with all of y'all. Um, I'm going to get real Milwaukee right now. Elvis Costello fucking rules. Um, yeah, that was my favorite. Okay, I was like waiting. I was like sitting here on the edge of my seat waiting to freak out about how good. So Elvis Costello is a bartender in the film, and he just he just like 
make it they don't even say like all the other characters i feel like they're like oh meatloaf oh you know here's a recognizable face but he literally just kind of in the background like doing a cocktail shaker and doing it really well like i also there's this one little moment when um she gets his attention a second time and he turns around and it's almost he almost plays it as if like you're gonna recognize me aren't you yeah and then she's like, oh, can you make it a double? And he goes, yes, I can. <laughs> and, but like just the way he performs it, it, it really felt like it's not Elvis Costello playing a bartender. It's Elvis Costello as tending bar. Yep, yeah, 100%. And I think that is what it was supposed to be. Um, and again, once again, about everyone knowing who they were, like when you get a cameo, you never know if you're playing, you know, the straight man and, you know, in, in like a, in a goofy scene whether you're playing um, me and the one who like is supposed to be normal and like the celebrity in the scene, or if you're playing a care, a version of yourself, which I think a lot of these people in this film did. I think Elvis Costello like has this very wandered onto set quality and he just decided to make yeah. himself a martini and he was like, Oh, you want one too? Cool. All right. Let's do it. Yeah. And I, and I think in the credits is even just credited as Elvis. Yeah. He rules. So he's playing himself. Um, the, I mean, what is that? Is it Stanley Tucci who has that cocktail video? that everyone was freaking out about a couple years ago where he's like making Negronis or something. Possibly. Okay. Well, you know, some hot older male actor, whenever I saw that video, I thought of Elvis Costello because I'm like, Elvis Costello is the original, like, I want to see someone make a cocktail person. And this film does that. And, Actually, you know. now that I'm thinking of it, Elvis Costello has two of my favorite cameos in comedies. What's the other one? Uh, the other one is Austin Powers too. Oh yeah. Where he's un- inexplicably back in the sixties. Oh my God, Elvis Costello! Because like that's the best part about it. He he has uh, he has Burt Bacharach and Elvis Costello playing a song uh, uh, for him, and they're back in the '60s, and Elvis Costello is there for some reason, and that's (laughs) it's just it's so funny to me. I mean, Elvis Costello and it's a legitimately good song. I just don't think he was making music that you know. Probably not, no. But it's Elvis, so you rock Elvis Costello. This is now just the Elvis Costello love fest. Yeah, this because he also does not he doesn't get enough credit credit for his music um at all i i mean we're talking about pop music right the idea that they would mm-hmm. include you know meatloaf who's a, a, a rock pop guy right and then elvis costello who you know is making pop music but it's closer to the jazz you know like we're talking about a jazz tradition coming out of that um and yeah melding it with like rock and all this other stuff but um he's not you know a household name like meatloaf is necessarily and i love that they included him um he was a household name in my household, you know, growing up. We talked about what kind of music we were into. I was listening to punk, but my dad is a... Um, Which Elvis Costello kind of has poppy. a foot in that world. No, totally. I you know, When I say pop, like, I, I like grouping him with pop because pop can touch all genres, right? Like, all mm-hmm. subgenres. And I really think he's got, you know, this blues R&B sensibility about his music, but then he's got a very punk, like, um, attitude towards lyrics and um, treatment yeah. of subjects. Um, not to get too into like music, you know, theory here, but I, so my dad was uh, really into jazz. He's a jazz and blues enthusiast. My father was a really good blues guitarist. He won't talk about it or do it publicly, but he is. Um, it's where I, why I taught myself guitar. Um, but growing up, like we're listening to Bob Dylan, Elvis Costello, um, a lot of girl groups and groups from the sixties. My dad used to be a DJ. Um, but all that music kind of to me like melts together in Elvis Costello, who we listen to all the time in the car. Um, two of my brothers are jazz musicians. I was supposed to be a jazz singer. I became a writer instead. Um, you know, I just, it was such a joy to me to have this like 
movie about this genre and group of people who I rejected include something that was so deep for my childhood, which is Elvis Costello. Yeah, because like so, so, having someone like Meatloaf in this movie is not surprising. Having totally. someone like Elton John is not surprising. Elvis Costello is the surprising choice. Surprising and a treat, like just absolutely. Yeah. And also, yeah. it's hilarious to have him, you know, Meatloaf say this incredibly recognizable thing, and then have Elvis Costello like, "Are you going to recognize me?" And also me? Are you deliver it in a really believable way too. Totally. Totally. I remember I texted you as soon as Elton John popped up because any movie with Elton John's going to get go higher on the scale okay. for me just because I, I love that man to no end. Uh, Bald my man that got me tickets to see him when he came to Milwaukee, and I was so in shock that I didn't feel anything when she got him for me. Wow. And then my ride drive home, like drive to work the next day, I was crying the entire ride home listening to Rocket Man. So good. That's such a good story. I love that. God, yeah, I that Elton John, like, really sealed, um, uh, Elvis Costello really sealed the film for me. I'm proud of Elton John. Like, I have something for everyone, right? Like, yeah. And what I liked so much about this movie when, as I was watching it is I, I love that, like I said, they have this these strong, reinforced characters. They know the roles they're playing. Like, um, I vaguely remembered, like, all of their, like, nicknames, you know, Sparty Spice, Scary Spice, whatever. But as I was watching, I, I never looked them up, but as I was watching the movie, I was able, instantly able to point out which one was which, yeah. just based on their personality. Um, and I love that. But I also love that they have no qualms making fun of themselves. They have no qualms looking ridiculous. Like, that scene where they're imagining themselves as parents, as, as mothers. They have no problems, like putting on you know schlepping on this really like bad makeup and wigs and really up in the cockney accent and just having fun with it how my gloria gets her clothes so dirty i'll never know bless her oh mm. my poor back i don't know you can have any more of them kids you got six already haven't you is it six mm. Yeah, but they're so cute when they're little and then they grow up to be real little bleeders. Thank God for boarding school. I only see mine once a month. Well, I'll tell you, he goes to me. Yes. He goes, Ma, I want to be a singer. I said, listen, lad, go to college, get yourself a proper job. Does he listen? No. They never do, though, do they? I mean, you Darling, know. kids today, they don't know how lucky they are. Hundred percent, and I also when we talk about um, you know gender and subverting genders, stereotypes and expectations, that scene was so good to me because they were they were like saying we're not going to be that, but that's not what we you know we're not we're going to do um, in feminist circles, especially in the nineties and two thousands. We talk a lot about wanting more than our mothers, or like our mothers wanting more for us, and I feel like that scene was like this very feminist like. You know, a little anti-mother. Like, you know, those mothers put up with tons of shit that they're, like, spoofing. Mm -hmm. But um, I love that they were like, here's what it was. You know, this is – they're probably each, you know, kind of embodying their own mothers. And, you know, we're not going to do that. We're going to do what we want to do, which is run off this bus and run around Manjang. Another thing that I just feel like I was impressed by with this movie, because sometimes when you get these – 
I don't necessarily want to call it a musical, but a movie that that is has musical numbers featured throughout right. it. It could just kind of feel like they're building towards those, and everything else is just kind of like halting so they can do them. The way that the musical numbers were integrated into this film never felt forced. They never overstayed their welcome. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like what you know. I said this is someone who loves some of those really shitty Elvis movies. It didn't feel like one of those shitty Elvis movies where they were just like. Uh, whatever people aren't paying attention just w- get him to sing yeah you know and they just throw in bullshit in between like it they all felt organic and then um as much as every time they were they're singing i was loving it but every time they'd get back to their high drinks i'd love that as well so like it just i never felt like uh i was just waiting for something to stop or waiting for something to happen and i also love that they just i just feel like this feels like a whiteboard movie in a good way where they're just throwing up all these weird ideas and just seeing what they can get. Like that, that scene where they meet the aliens. Mm-hmm. And I love that the, the Spice Girls can speak an alien language. Yep. Like, it's subtitled can. It's subtitled for us because we're not Spice Girls. <laughs> we don't know what they're saying. But they do. 100%. Now that scene, um, I, I... You know, I would love to see an analysis of... Um, like, you know those tour movies? Like, Katy Perry had one where it's, like, a two-hour film about going on tour or, like, making an album. I would mm-hmm. love to see analysis of those compared to this movie because those didn't come out until, like, the mid-2000s, if not, you know, after the aughts. And it just this movie very much to me was just about their career. It's like, yeah, there's a musical number because they're performing right now. That's just where, you know, that's what's happening in the movie. Um, and I feel like the direction to that was very new for this time period but i see hints of it in those tour movies which is not something i'm like super into i'm not really into like pop icons i know there are people right now there are women especially who i follow who um are like experts and like pop icons like beyonce and you know all those i i feel like the spice girls was the beginning of that phenomena and i mm-hmm. wonder how much of this movie or movies you know it came after kind of influenced how we approach icons and um attaching their personal lives to their professional lives and the spice girls too like i didn't i don't remember super well but in the 90s you never like saw the spice girls like not being spice girls yeah i mean there i yeah i'm sure there was like tabloids that were trying to catch them or whatever but when they were out in public and stuff they were like dressed like their characters and they were you know because their characters were them ostensibly Um, yeah and that's and so special. much so that actually one of my favorite scenes in this movie was when they were uh, joking about creating new personas for themselves, oh, yeah. and they were all trying on each other's personas, and ultimately realized that it didn't fit because they're not being their true selves. One hundred percent. I also love that there wasn't a strict division; like they were still very much a unit. Like there's a scene where they're in the bus the first time, and um, one of them has stolen the other's boots, mm-hmm. and like that to me because in my brain like i'm thinking about the space growth the way i would think about like um you know a, a group of cartoon characters like let's talk about like powerpuff girls like they would never share costumes or like space in their bedroom right like it's like all very separate and they're they're um the idea that these are girls who live together and hang out together and like they can swap clothes even though their personas are so different was also just a nice little moment to me um, yeah. in building the the spice girl you know spice girl world building yeah, and they also I also love that they 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 would because their friends would poke fun at each other, but they never looked down on anyone for 
being different than them. Right. You know, like like uh, Victoria. Mm-hmm. She's 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 obviously based on her name. She's very posh. She's very uh, into her look. And a lot of them are, but they, you know, they don't look down on her for being that way. Just like they don't look down on Sporty for not dressing the way that they do. 100%. Uh, and she stole every scene she was in. She was great, actually, in this movie. 100%. And I do love that um, Victoria, so posh spice, is not a snob. She just likes mm-hmm. her fashion, right? Like, she likes wearing the same dress, you know, in different colors every day, different, slightly different cuts. Um, like, she could have easily been this very negative, like, villain. And they didn't pick a villain, right? There's no real villain in this, except for maybe, like, the movie industry. Yeah. And, like, what's what's great about her is, like, she rolls her eyes at everything. Yes. Just because that's her character. She's uh, she's not rolling her eyes because she doesn't want to do things. She just feel like she just rolls her eyes. Like, But yet, like, I love when those, those parents were like, can you come talk to my son who's in a coma? She's the first one to get up and do it. Yep. She rolls her eyes while doing it, but... She knows what she's gonna do. Hundred percent, and she and she cares. You, know what I mean, they're all there because because part of their persona, right, is that they're these very caring, positive girls. Um, and I love that she can be. Yeah, she can be like um, the whole "you should smile more," you know, thing. Like mm-hmm. Posh Spice doesn't. You know, she's not smiley like you know Baby Spice or any other ones would be. Um, and I love that she can just be. You know, like have her. You know, for lack of a better term, resting bitch face, like I have. And I appreciate that so much. I was like, hell yeah. Let's have some representation for Rusty Fishface. I'm so sorry, Victoria, about them. Um, I'm sure she'll listen to this. I'm sure, like... I'm sure. I I, I imagine out of all the Spice Girls who (laughs) might listen to this, I feel like Victoria Beckham's going to be the one who I think will listen. We're a big fan. Yeah. Like, I'm trying to, like... As we've been sitting here talking, I've been trying to, like, think, like bring up my like my critical mind of like what are things that i didn't necessarily like about the movie and i can't really find i just had a great time while watching it if anything i wish it would have been a little bit longer um totally and like because like i said i was i was enjoying all the musical numbers um and they just i as a good music movie should they just kept building and getting better as they went along um i love that they um they were shining a light on the fact that this is a show. This is a production. Um, you know, they're not hiding from the fact that during some of these performances, they're lip syncing. Yes. And I also love too. This is a, this is a small thing. So they're always in character because these are, this is who they are. That's who they, that's how they're trying to present it. Uh-huh. I loved that. We'd oftentimes get rehearsal footage of them. Where they were still their characters, but they were dressed slightly different. They're 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 dressed down versions of these characters. Like anytime that's uh, that um, was it Mel C. Scary Spice. Mel B. Or was it Mel B. Yeah, Mel B. Melanie C. Any, so anytime she had her glasses on, I was like, oh, it's rehearsal time. <laughs> like it's it's little details like that that I found myself re- really appreciating, and like I I also appreciate that they didn't I they didn't have to waste a lot of time. Uh, for lack of a term, with the Batman origin story of it all. Like, we, granted, we grew up with the Spice Girls, so we know who they are, but I'm no expert on them. I didn't, but I never need, I never, I never needed the movie to tell me who they were. They're the Spice Girls. Uh, the, you know, to quote Kiss, are the hottest band in the world. Everyone loves them, but people want to see them. Like, I didn't need anything else. Yeah. It just, it was, 
I mentioned in, in my intro that there's um, at times it feels like a lack of story, but I don't know if I necessarily needed more story. I just I liked these fights of fancy. I liked these them kind of delving into their imagination. Because at the same time, I imagine you're on a tour bus all the time and your, your wife is pretty much living to gig oh. over and over again. That's what you're going to need. Like Your wife is going to be consistent of your own imagination and having fun with your friends. Definitely. I do think that um, I wonder if we're reacting to a lack of exposition over a lack of narrative. Because that could be. It has, could you know, be. To me, it has as much narrative as, you know, Cleo, bring it back to Cleo 5 to 7. Um, I don't know why I'm still hung up on that movie today, but I am. This is my well, r- 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 um, to give him a plug, Rough Cut Fan Club just released a new Cleo shirt I and short combo. I cannot talk about Rough Cut or Rocking Thought. I am so broke and I need to stop releasing anything. Well, I need to mention them because they're they they they're kind of my show host. So. Oh, well. What's up, Rough Cut? We love you. Send me a free shirt. Send me some free shirts. Um, I, yeah, no, sorry. We can talk about the puns. I love them. Um... I just already have enough pieces, so that's a lie. Send me them for free. Thank you. Um, I'm a medium. So, I anyway, Cleo from 5 to 7, um, things happen in that movie. Obviously, there was a script, but it's very much about following a young girl around, and mm-hmm. there's not exposition like, oh, yes, this is Cleo. She's a famous whatever, like, and she's dating this guy, and, like, it's just kind of like she's, like, in her apartment complaining about men on a swing for whatever reason. And then she, like, goes to the doctor because she might have cancer. And then at the end of the film, it's like, swing. oh, my God, I love it. Well, you know, I use that scene all the time where she's like, I'm too good for men. Favorite, yeah. like, true. And I need that on a T-shirt, just like that screen cap. Um, are you are you listening, Liam? We need that on a T-shirt. <clears throat> but I, uh, I, yeah, my, my point is just I think that there's a lack of exposition um, and not necessarily mm-hmm. a lack of narrative. And the narrative, you know, yeah, it's not being shoved down your throat. Yeah, and it's like there's and there's a lot of plot in this film. It's just it's not plot that necessarily serves the narrative, totally. but it serves the character. It's everything. You everything can tell in you this write movie movies because you're like it doesn't serve the narrative. And I'm like I wouldn't even have thought of that. It was just like, yeah. uh, it's, it, but it's all it's all character building. It's all it's it's all stuff that I honestly look for. It's the stuff that in a screenwriting class they would have told you to cut out because it doesn't serve the plot or doesn't serve the narrative. And I'm like, this is the shit that I that that I like. I um, like I said, I, I think some of it is just like I'm I'm still coming down from the high of Spice World. I've had just a little too much spice in my life, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just, I had a great time with it. And um, I, it's weird to say that there I I that I think there should be a rediscovery of the Spice Girls because the Spice Girls, as I said, were one of the biggest bands in the world. But I still don't feel like they're talked about. I mean, the same way that other people are. Again, I wonder and if we have a gender thing here because I, um, you know, that's I'm, true. So I'm non-binary. Um, you know, so maybe to the front for viewers, listeners, but um, but I'm femme, and all of my like femme friends were really excited last year when the 25th anniversary of Spice World tour happened. So like, yeah, like I, I did hear and, about and Spice that World very well yeah. could be, and also like I. I Probably some of it too is I don't follow in a lot of circles that talk about pop music. Totally, I mean, I'm both, kind of the guy that talks about pop music. Yeah, I, I think that's true, especially for you. Um, I think you know we are both. You know, I feel like people. I get typecast a lot. I imagine you get typecast a lot as far as like you know. Oh yeah, the horror fan. Like that's you know I'm like the goth girl at Astra. You know, 
And I, people don't talk to me about pop music very often or like pop genres. Um, and I fucking love them in a lot of ways and I wish they would, but mm-hmm. um, it's just kind of a shame because I, I'm so much more than just a fan of horror and like, you know, horny werewolves. Like there's more <laughs> to me, not much, but there is. No, it's like, I've said before, it's like it, people don't expect, um, you know, the guy who's, you know, listened to Black Flag to yeah. want to talk about uh, the new Lord album. But that is like, and, and to go back to what my friend, my friend Zach said, had that quote, by the way, about popping the new punk. Um, Absolutely truthful. It is, yeah, it's, it's still punk. And also, you cannot argue that um, punk you know, punk became popified very quickly. Um, yeah. And on top of that, it's, you can't argue that punk didn't have this huge effect on pop music and that pop music is not can't, dealing with all of the same um, themes that punk was, you know, in the late 70s to 90s. Like, uh, just because something's playing on the radio doesn't mean it's less interesting. Yes. And I was thinking about music overall. Um, I know we talked about, you know, music concert culture earlier but i've gotten really into um hip-hop and especially like the pop the more pop like genres of hip-hop because it's easier to to find and get into um Mm -hmm. initially but i was i am listening to all these artists who i'm finding and are being recommended to me by the algorithms because they're queer they're openly queer they've worked with like you know jay-z and he and all these um you know sorry to say his name on your podcast but um, they've worked with all these like major names and they're trans women or, you know, out bisexual men. And like mm-hmm. that as a kid, like it is unheard of that hip hop artists would be fucking gay, you know, and like go on a song mm-hmm. and talk about sucking dick. Yeah. You know I mean, like that is, or whole, or some, some of these artists are talking about holding hands with, you know, their, their boyfriends or whatever. And that's beautiful. And I yeah. love it. Or they're just being fucking nasty about queer sex. And I'm so about that. Like, I love holding hands and I love, you know, nasty ass queer sex. Like, that is. Yeah, like the, the only, what? like, in, in high school and, like, and then going into college, like, the only place that I ever got stuff like that was from, like, indie music. Uh-huh. Like, if I wanted to hear on the same record someone talking about holding hands or nasty queer sex, I had to, like, listen to the magnetic fields. <laughs> yes. And even in the punk scene, like we, you know, punk as a term came from a diminutive of, um, or not diminutive, but like a, a, a um, an offensive term for for bumming, right? For for having gay male sex, like punk. that. I didn't know. Yeah, that's fun. it's that's and they, they it was co-opted, that's but it's a like fun fact for the episode. Fun fact, yeah. So the the origins of punk though was still like the faces that you saw and the people who we credit are still these white cis at male people but it Mm -hmm. it came from like a reaction to people calling people the f word for gays you know essentially and it's like i hate that punk became so like straight and i love all the anti-capitalist stuff but like it was supposed to be about nasty ass queer sex in your face like you know yeah i'm fucking gay fucking get over it that was like where it was supposed to come from and it feels in very many ways Kind of a co-opted genre like it then became about like suburban angst or like not wanting to be like my parents but like that not necessarily being gay like i'm not like my parents but that's a big part of that is because i'm a fucking queer weirdo right like i'm a queerdo yeah. um queer dirtbag you know and and i realized like in, in high school i 
kind of had a, a shitty punk band going. We uh, we never oh, wrote yeah. any actual songs, so <laughs> I, I, we rarely. That's the best call, kind of band. Like, we were kind of like trying to do covers and trying to mm-hmm. figure out what our song was going to be. <laughs> but I, I realized. Sorry, I love when you're like young and you try to start with the subgenre and not the music. Like all my bands started yeah. with like we're going to be like a post riot girl band, and then that meant like whatever <laughs> the fuck we were making. We should yeah, just and it's, it, like it was a whole thing. No one wanted to sing, so I kind of got co-opted into oh, yeah. it uh i wasn't i was a terrible guitarist i could Same. play three i could play like four sludgy chords that's fun uh, our actual though really good guitarist in the group didn't want to do it he wanted to be like rhythm guitar uh and then our drummer just got a double bass pedal so everything had to be just fucking fast and then uh we had a keyboardist i don't know it was fucking weird um and i learned really early on that because i wanted to be a punk band because that's what i liked and that's the only thing i could probably play Mm -hmm. (laughs) um and i realized oh i can't be a punk band because i have nothing to fucking say (laughs) and that's the problem because like you know it's like the 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 punk music that was really moving me it was about something yeah i i I half-assed wrote one song and it was called so you didn't um, just write like tv parties tonight like that's no 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 i wrote i started writing one song and it was um um, I've got nothing to be angry about, and that pisses me off. I love that. I love self-aware <laughs> punk. Let's bring it back. I never, I never finished the song, but that's all I had going for it because I was uh, frustrated that I had nothing to talk about. Um, and to bring it back to to the Spice Girls, mm-hmm. I love. That's one thing I I found myself really liking about their songs is their. I felt like they were about something. Totally. You know, something is, um, and it's, like you said, they do sing about love or whatever. Uh, relationships. Boys, yeah. Relationships. But, like, the the big thing that really stuck with me is the song is about friendship. So many, like, you know, that that that, that their most famous song, you know, if you want to be my lover, you got to get with my friends. You if you, if you don't like my friends, you can fuck off. That's essentially what that song is about. Or, uh, um, you know, you can, what was that? You can join my gang or something yeah. like that. Like that, like. join their gang they seem cool 100 percent. 
and and yeah. and I feel like that's why they were a big deal, is because they wrote really ear pleasing songs that were about something. They were about something, and I do think that their um, their audience was projected to be younger girls, mostly, right? Mm-hmm. Like they weren't necessarily being. Maybe tweens. The tween wasn't like tween became a real concept in the like aughts, which was a little bit after Spice Girls. But um, they, you know, they were, you know, there there are videos. There are a couple of videos that I find a little pedophilic in the way that they um, interact with young boys. Um, like it's very like, oh yeah, where the Spice Girls? Like there's the one where they're the fairies and they're like giving him kisses, and it's really weird. Uh, maybe very uncomfortable. I can't remember which one it is, but very uncomfortable for me personally as a viewer. But um, I do think that they were at a younger audience. I was trying to look up when was Britney Spears. Like when did she rise to? It was the nineties, but yeah, yeah, definitely was. Let's find out. Well, you type Britney and everything but Spears comes up. Rude. That's cool. Britney Snow is one of the first people to come up. Oh, okay. Well. well okay. So her her years active says she started in ninety two, but okay. that doesn't mean anything. I think ninety four uh, was like her. So oops, I did it again. Was ninety eight, so it was right around this time. Okay, cool. So Britney's my point. Then my point stands. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for the research. So, um, Britney Spears is a you know a pop artist who came out then. Definitely defined girlhood in a lot of ways, and and how going into my tween years and my, so I was born and in ninety. She... She also wrote some bangers. Okay, Britney Spears is fantastic. But my point is, um, knowing everything we know now, and then even about how she entered the music industry, how controlled she was by the men around her and yeah. her family, um, she was constructed as a teenage boy fantasy and to, like, yeah. really... Or in adult male fantasy. Like, her whole schoolgirl thing is is not for other teen boys. It's for, it's for men. You know, it's pretty fucking gross. But um, yep. I, like... As a girl, you know, you're pushed into that, right? Like, um, especially in the end of the 90s, we start getting this reaction to a lot of the um, second wave feminist, like, riot girl type stuff that's happening, where now we want, we're, we're sexually liberated, and they want to put us back into the box of, like, we exist for the pleasure of men. And Britney Spears, unfortunately, the image that they created for her was very much something that, like, I was pushed into in middle school. That's when you start having very sexually charged um I don't know, interactions, but expectations about how you dress. Um, and not that there's anything wrong, you know, we should not be sexualizing a child in a crop top. Like, period. Mm-hmm. We shouldn't be sexualizing anyone in a crop top unless they want to be sexualized. But um, a child in a crop top. But that was, like, all the clothes started to be very, like, you know, sexual and for someone else's gaze. And I think mm-hmm. that other pop music was really doing that. And even though Spice Girls were wearing their, you know, their tight tops, their tight skirts, they were running around with their friends, you know, they were like talking about positivity. They were, you know, it was, you know, even though they looked a certain way, they weren't pushing this very like, you know, Britney Spears, oops, I did it again, you know, um, situation. No, I completely agree. Um, and I love Britney, not to like diminish her at all, but, um, and her song, because I listen to oops, I did it again all the time. Um, as an adult, you know, as a kid, I just pushed against that. I just pushed against everything girly. I, and then Amanda's yeah. got me, got me hooked on the song "Lucky." That song oh. just it gets stuck in my head so easily. I I'm a toxic bitch, like I'm a toxic bitch. But um, I 
I'm not. I'm very emotionally aware and I have great emotional intelligence. Um, but, and I'm single. But um, <laughs> Britney Spears, uh, that song, Toxic, like definitely defined my like teen years and middle and like high school years. Um, the idea that she is this femme fatale who's like fucking killing guys, it was like really formative to me. And I have carried that attitude with me into my 30s. <laughs> so good like so i feel like we've we've discussed quite a bit when it comes to spice girls uh and spice and spice world uh before we start wrapping up was there anything that you felt like you we you wanted to touch on further um i think there's so much with this movie i know we were talking about it we were like neither of us are really like spice girls people and i wish we were able to have someone on who was um I mean, because I love so much about them, like the fashion, um, fascinating, mm-hmm. fantastic. I do think that they, it was very, very 90s, but I think that their fashion carried on into the aughts in a way that mm-hmm. other people didn't necessarily. But I do think about like TLC um, and uh, Destiny's Child as people who really defined the aughts um, later on, like as far as being referential or referencing back to those groups. But um, I, yeah, I wish. I kind of wish we had had uh, an expert, but um, I'm, I hope that this podcast starts like just every podcast talking about Spice Girls so we can get so much analysis of this film and phenomena in a new and way. I, since we're going to have quite a few guests on this season, I feel like I should just ask every everyone to start. So what's your opinion on the Spice can Girls? Can that be the theme, please? <laughs> like, just open with, okay, so before we get started, I need to know what's your opinion on Spice Girls? Um, but the problem is you, you ask that and then someone's like, I fucking hate them and you have to end the podcast and then you got to have something to fill the time, you know, it gets yeah. really awkward. Or just cut it, just cut it out. <laughs> just, just have them say, well, I, and then cut to the intro. Yeah, um, pretty, pretty much. Perfect. Uh, so as is tradition on this show, well, I should say tradition, but it's only when I remember to do it. So it's a half-assed tradition. Yeah. Like every tradition. Me and uh, me and Nick started doing this thing that uh, we call the Thrill House moment of a movie. It's uh, um, goes back to a joke on The Simpsons where Millhouse just gets a new video game, and uh, he's like, he, it's that, almost like that that famous uh, image of the guy sitting on the couch and his hair's being blown back. Yeah. He's sitting in front of us to speak, and it, Millhouse just sitting there, his hair's blown back, and he's like, "All I've done is enter my name," and it just says Thrill House. Um, so. We have a, a segment where we talk about our Thrill House moment. The moment that just knocked your hair back, made you realize, I fucking like this movie. It could be anything that just solidified that this is this this is my shit. Do you have a Thrill House moment on this on this movie? What was the moment that, like, what was your lock-in, to use a screenwriting term? Um, I... What a terrifying question. I, like, I, I mean, it's easy to just say, like, the Elvis Costello, um cameo but you can no i i want to i want to call out um alan cummings like uh work in this movie was just like so good to me and i think it's because it by this point he was recognizable he wasn't like super famous but Mm -hmm. when you see him in any other movie he is playing like the most out and even like shows i'm thinking about the his character in the l word like the most out there, like, he's still being himself, but he's being a, a character. You know, he's a great character actor. Um, and even when he was on Broadway, you know, doing cabaret, like, he is 
this amazing character actor. And I feel like this movie, he was playing, you know, sort of the straight man. I, I use that term a lot. It just means like someone who's, you know, um, not the comedian. Yeah, the uh, the opposition to the comedian that makes it funny. But he, you know, and and they make a lot of jokes about him as a documentarian and like ordering around his his tiny two man crew. But I just love that he was just like this dude in flannel, like running around trying to get this movie made. That's like so not an Alan Cumming character to me, and I I loved seeing that range, as it were, from him. That was the moment where I was like, this movie, like they took Alan Cumming, one of the greatest like character actors, in a while. And just like made him into like this flannel wearing, you know, kind of diminished director. Fantastic. Yeah. So I also have, like, I could easily just say this one out and John popped up. Like, I easily could say that. Um, He was, he was easily my favorite part of the second Kingsman movie. (laughs) Uh, But if I had to be, uh, to be honest, the, the, the one, uh, it was, the uh, the running joke of the film producer and the screenwriter pitching their ideas mm-hmm. because it had such an amazing payoff in the end where the screenwriter's pitching the idea as it's actually happening. Yeah. And then, but then it, it's even better because when he's like, they're going to walk through that door right there and then they don't. But then it also ties into Alan Cummings, his uh, oh, his intro. his whole his whole bits, and they miss the big epic intro. It's like just the the way that that joke culminated. Like I said, I was I was into those bits anyways. But that's like the moment where I realized this movie's fucking genius. It's a, it, it, the, your whole thing about it being intentional, so intentional. Like that is right. That's like a smoking gun moment. Like mm-hmm. you know, they don't walk down a hallway in the beginning. So that means they you know we got to bring it back in the. That was like a really you know, lame smoking gun. Not too smoking gun, but whatever. I'm not in class. Um, and I'm saying the Spice World hallway is a new smoking gun. Yes. And then there's also just two moments that made me like legitimately just like... Because, you know, you watch a comedy, sometimes you don't, you're not actually laughing. You're like, oh, that's funny. Yeah. There's two moments where like I was legitimately just cackling. One, it was Meatloaf's, Meatloaf's uh, great, I won't do that line. Because yes. like, it, it wasn't the line, it was how he said it. And then um, when they were, uh, the the final sequence of them him, him pitching his idea, and they were like, uh, talking about the bus go jumping over the uh, over the bridge, and uh, George went and goes, uh, it's like, sounds expensive. And then we see like a shitty little like toy. Mm-hmm about to jump it and he comes back to him is like not that expensive <laughs> oh no that i told i actually like there's so many things happening in this movie and i love it but that was one of my favorite the budget joke and then yes like they committed so hard to like okay now we're gonna do it with little models because we clearly lost the budget and i've seen like mo- other movies that you know do that you know they're like oh we don't have the budget so and then it's like a shitty kid's drawing or something but that was yeah. like such a good usage. That's the best budget joke we've had since Mel Brooks. Yeah, I was thinking Mel Brooks, Brooks was probably. always the king of those. Like my favorite of a like budget or breaking the fourth wall joke actually came from Robin Hood, mm-hmm. uh, Prince of uh, Robin Hood Men in Tights, which does not hold up as well as it did when I was a really? kid. There, it, there's some uh, questionable jokes in that. Okay, movie. well, I uh, you know. But what what's, what fan. works in that movie still fucking works. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the you know the the great scene in that movie where we first meet Maid Marian and the camera's pushing in and then it um, when it cuts to her in the bathtub the camera breaks through the window because oh. it hadn't stopped. Yes, 
like it, the 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 bus being a toy is on level with that totally that scene too um i thought it was yeah everything about that scene good um robin and that inside yeah what a formative movie as well yeah um, that was like my most watched movie as a kid i i mean i like conflate it with some other movies because you know you watch movies as a kid like all together um mm-hmm. and that princess bride which is one of my favorite films of all time and um uh, what is the movie with Monty Python, The Holy Grail? Mm. So you what you liked? It, it was, at first, I thought there was, the commonality was Carrie Ellis. No, it just turns out you like fantasy. I just yeah, I really do. I was um, I'm really 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 into fantasy. It's like a problem. I'm a huge dork. But um, I was like, I, I somebody pointed out recently that the way that I approach narratives. Like, as far as, like, criticizing them and analyzing them is based on, like, the fact that I read, like, a bunch of really long-form fantasy, like, adult fantasy novels as a kid. Like, that. Someone was like, no, I can tell that you read, like, Game of Thrones at, like, 11. I was like, oh. (laughs) Now I feel typecast. (laughs) I feel really called out. Um, Yeah, so speaking of, like, formative, inappropriate experiences. (laughs) uh, Well... I I feel really good about this. We got like an hour and forty minutes on Spice World. Oh yeah, which which Spice World is too. great. I, is there going to be a Spice no, World? No, I'm just like our oh. podcast is going to be. Oh. <laughs> um, this in, is action packed. Just as many cameos. In context, we just did uh, Murder on the Orient Express, the the like the, the one from the seventies, and it was like we maybe got like forty minutes out of it. Really. <laughs> I did not like that movie at all. I feel like you and I, when we get talking, though, like... Yeah. We can this watch, wasn't all... When are we going to watch a movie that we both fucking hate? Because that'll be entertaining, too, but we, we've only um, watched Bangers, right? We should figure that out. We could That could be that could be something we could do Let's on this show. Let's find a movie that we like know we're going to hate. Because we can't have seen it, right? Or like one of us can't have seen it. So we got to figure out... Yeah, something. Well, okay, you know, you know my taste, and you know that I fucking hate everything. Like, so let's just find the most like white male. Yeah, but every time that I, but then you always, then you surprise me. Then you surprise me. You'll 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 love something that I'm like, really? What have I? Because at times, at times, I'm too lenient. I just, I just enjoy watching movies. So sometimes I'm just too lenient. (laughs) Though when I hate something, I truly hate it. (laughs) You commit. Yeah, I like borderline hate a lot of stuff like i'll just be like that was fucking dumb but it's got merit um uh, let me think about it there's got to be like just like the shit like i don't know i'm trying to think about and i haven't seen like you know i haven't seen like citizen kane you know what i mean so, like i have a, mm-hmm. a big chunk of classic type movies that i haven't seen damn it have i become too lenient in my old age possibly oh, really? you're becoming more you're becoming more and more like me oh no Oh no. Um, okay, let me think about it. We'll find a movie that we will both probably hate. All right. Well, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. The last thing I will say is I um, on our way off this show because I want people if they ever fucking comment on this. I don't know if you listen to this. I want to find out who everyone's favorite Spice Girl is. <gasps> Who's yours? Oh my god, I can't pick a favorite. I can't do it. First one that comes to mind. Gary. Okay. I love Mel B. I mean, like, it's not just because she's, like, the, you know, spooky one. I, like, like Mel B a lot. My, my go-to is probably Mel C. Melanie is, Melanie C is awesome. Mel C. Um, 
They're all good. They're all good. I okay. If I can just say too, I do miss like in the nineties, um, how many references we put to science fiction and horror films. And there's a Spice Girls video where Baby Spice is the girl from Poltergeist. Um, I've not seen oh that. Oh my god, that sounds incredible. Yeah, it might be like an alternate of a different video, you know? Well, there, there's also that whole Backstreet Boys music video that's like set in a, a haunted house. I mean, like you know, you talk about like hip hop from the '90s, incredibly horror infused in a lot of mm-hmm. cases, and um, and wasn't there also a Britney Spears music video where she's like on Mars or something? Okay, shit? that's the one I always think of. I I think that was um, Baby One More Time. Was that... whatever. Oops, I did it again. Something. Oops, I did it again was was a school, right? Yeah, yeah. I, wasn't that Toxic? No, Toxic, she's in a plane, and she's like a spy. Um, oh, okay. One minute. That's cool. One minute. I'll, yeah, that video, like, gay little Josephine was like, oh, there's a lot of tight latex in this on these women. <laughs> is this interesting? Um, <laughs> that is Oops, I Did It Again. Oh, shit, okay. Yeah, she's in, like, this red, like, suit, and then this guy comes up. He's a He's on Mars. Um, and he's with NASA, and then he takes his helmet off because he tells him to. Like, another one. Like, Britney Spears killing people, definitely a root for me, personally. Um, love it. Big fan. All right. Well, anyone who, who's made it through this entire episode, <laughs> I, I, I have a mandate God for you, you that if you've not seen Spice World, try to track it down. It's Good not luck. necessarily easy, but track it down. And, you know, listen to a couple Spice Girls tracks. Reevaluate them. That, that first Spice Girls album has a four four and a half stars on all music mm-hmm. you know so the critics seem to like it because uh, it's great but then you know chase it because we've talked about it a couple times chase it with joe's in the pussycats and just have a good fucking night love that i love a double feature as you know from the random double features i send you yeah so everyone thanks for listening to us ramble about the spice girls spice world uh the state of the 90s uh Cleo from nine to five to seven yeah Cleo from five to seven and a little bit of everything it's been great yes (laughs) and let's thank our our uh our guest host for the night Josephine for joining me on this episode thanks for having me on as always the Shameless Picture Show is recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin and Easton, Maryland and is hosted and produced by Nick Richards and Michael Byers Today's episode was edited by Michael Byers. Our opening theme music was written especially for us by The Directionals, with narration by Zach McLean. The end credit music you're enjoying at the moment was generously provided by my friends in the band 10Speed. The shameless graphic design is masterfully done by Amanda Byers. An extra special thank you to all of our Patreon supporters and to our generous sponsors. We are on Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, Google Play, and Libsyn. You can find links for all these amazing people in the description below.